May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There are these little idiomatic phrases that we all use frequently that, um, that become such a, a part of our language um, that we almost don't think about them. But every now and then I, I hear them and it causes me to think about them in a very um, a sort of you know, analytical way, like, like one that you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Now, I totally understand how we use it and, um, you know, and, and what it means, but I don't understand why, you know. I mean, it means, right, uh, uh, the, something today is worth the prospect of twice as much tomorrow, right? A, a dollar today is worth the promise of two tomorrow. Take the dollar today, right? But why a bird in the bush? You know, why a bird in the hand and, a, and two in the bush? Who wants a bird, you know? What would you do with this bird if you had it? I mean, are these birds to be eaten? And, and if you could eat a bird that would fit in your hand, would it be much of a meal anyway? I don't, it, it makes no sense, like, how it came about, I guess. That's my thing. Um, you'll know this one as well. Have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> Come on. Of course I want to eat my cake. Why else would I have my cake unless I was going to eat it? Are there people who sit around and look at cake and think, why? Isn't that a lovely cake? Or perhaps... Barbara, are you going to eat that cake? No, I just want to look at it for 10 minutes or so. Um, maybe there are like modeling agencies. Maybe this is where it came from, like people who starve themselves to death, you know, or uber thin. And, and you know, if you work really hard today, I'll let you look at cake for 10 minutes after work. You know, no, I, I want to eat my cake. That's why I have it. How about this one? It's like taking candy from a baby. We use that, right? Something that's supposed to be remarkably easy, taking candy from a baby. It's like it was made up by somebody who never had a baby, right? Um, taking candy from the baby, I have found to be one of the most difficult things in the world. You know, I, I, was, I kind of remember when my children were young, we would go through the drive through with the bank, and the bank tellers would send in some suckers, you know, and I'd take off, and I'd turn around, and in a minute, I, I see this child, you know, with a dum-dum, and it's got, like, dog hair all over it and, you know, other things. And I'm like, oh, that's gross, you know, and I, I reach back to grab it from him. And it's like he has the death grip of a Viking warrior, you know, and starts to scream. And taking candy from a baby is not easy. It's one of the most difficult things that I think I've ever tried to do. Besides that, why would people want to take candy from a baby unless, you know, you're trying to save it, you know? Like, are you just trying to steal candy from a baby? Get your own candy, you know? You don't need to take baby's candy. When I lived in Kentucky, there, I remember one time serving this little church in the country, and um, I'm in the, the church kitchen. I'm not much different than this, this parish building, but I'm in the kitchen in the back, and, um, and these two little children, Will and Emily, come through. When Will was the younger of the two, their brother sister, Will was probably six, and Emily probably eight, and, and they're just flying through, and she's giving chase. And their mother was in the kitchen, and she grabbed them both and stopped them, you know, and gave them a, a little uh, finger and tongue lashing about running through the church and so on. And, and they started, you know, back and forth, and she's demanding an explanation. And, and Will was saying, you know, she did this or whatever. And Emily said, I did not. Mama, he slapped me in the face, and he did it for no reason but pure meanness. I thought you know, it's the most direct and sort of sophisticated answer. The eight-year-old Kentucky girls are very sophisticated in their moral assessments, you know. He did it for no reason other than pure meanness. Didn't need a fancy figure of speech or anything like that. Just went right to the core of why her brother did what he did. People have done something like that to you before, have they? Something out of pure meanness. Somebody's, you know, said something that hurt you or, or actually you know, physically did something to harm you or, 
or took advantage of you or in some way caused you personal injury. It's happened, and you probably can remember it right away. In an instant, it jumps to mind. Brings me to another figure of speech, one that really makes sense. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. This is a lesson we learn early in life. Be careful, be guarded, protect yourself, watch out. Don't trust people. They can't be trusted. And if you do, they're going to hurt you. Jesus and his friends are traveling on their way to Jerusalem. And in route, they, um, they go up this mountain. Jesus invites three of them to go. And uh, it's Peter, James, and John. And they go up to this mountain. It's, a, it's like a, a prayer retreat, a, a kind of getaway. They're going to go up and spend some time in prayer. And when they climb the mountain, they get to the top of it, um, something amazing happens. Jesus transfigures. Matthew's word, metamorphosed. He, he transfigured before them and became like this blinding white light. And they were amazed by it. This was a miracle. And suddenly there are with him two other men, Moses and Elijah. You don't have to really be that well versed in the Bible to know that these are big names in the Bible. In the Hebrew Scriptures, Moses and Elijah are the embodiment of the law and the prophets. The Hebrew Bible is divided into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And so here are the, the two major sections, the law and the prophets, embodied in, in human form, Moses and Elijah. These are as big Old Testament heroes as you could possibly imagine. When I was a boy, we used to collect baseball cards. Um, the really great baseball cards, since I lived uh, in, in the Dayton area, were Cincinnati Red players. If you got a Johnny Bench or a Pete Rose, I mean, those were really, those were the, the, the ones that have. And you would take a, a, a clothespin and you would clip them to the forks of your bicycle so that when you rode, your bicycle sounded like a motorcycle. I was in training way back then, you know, you know down the street. And you had to have the, the best card that you could have in there. I probably squandered a college education in, in card values, you know, by, by using those great Moses and Elijah would have been the best cards you could have if people collected Old Testament hero uh, Bible figure cards. They would have been the top. And, and here Jesus is speaking to them. And Peter says what anybody would say, let's just stay right here. I'll build three shrines, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah, and we'll just stay right here. Let's never leave. And just then a cloud overshadows the mountain. You heard the Old Testament lesson about Moses going up to a mountain and a cloud enveloping the mountain. A cloud enveloping the mountain is a, is a big sign. It's in the mind of, of every Jew in the first century that this would have been a, this would have been a, a clear presence of God, a clear image of the presence of God in there. It's called a theophany, is what uh, theologians call them, a visible manifestation of the power and presence of God, that God himself is here. And a voice comes from the cloud. Nobody has to tell them whose voice it is. Everyone knows whose voice comes from the cloud. And what does the voice say? This is my son, the beloved. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The first part is sort of a, um, an indicative, right? This is a, a matter of fact. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. This is sort of like saying there are fish in the ocean. Um, chocolate is delicious. 
Father Joe is devilishly handsome. All these things are true. They're matters of fact, right? The second part, why did you laugh? The second part is, is a command, though, isn't it? It moves from an indicative to an imperative. Listen to him. It's a command. Pay attention. The people, of course, these guys fall on their face and they're prostrate. And Jesus comes up after that and touches them. Moses and Elijah are gone, just Jesus himself. And he gives another command. Get up and be not afraid. The most oft-repeated command in all of Holy Scripture is this. Be not afraid. It doesn't make sense to give somebody that command, though, unless there is something for which one should be afraid, right? There's no sense in saying, don't be afraid, uh, if, um, you know, you're going to grandmother's house. Unless, of course, grandmother gives you a reason for being afraid, right? Most people don't say, be not afraid, you know, if you're going in to, you know, have dinner, you know, unless you think that somebody might poison you. Don't be afraid, or be not afraid comes with a certain sense of uh, there might be something to fear. There is something to fear. Because they know what's on the other side of the mountain. Just before they went up there, Jesus asked that question, who do people say that I am? And there were lots of good answers. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, that's, you're right. Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says to them, if anyone wants to come after me, let them take up their, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Going down from the mountain is the path to the cross. Be not afraid. There's something to be afraid of. There's a cross waiting eventually at the bottom of that mountain. Don't be afraid. Uh, For some time now, we've been in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is this uh, revelation that, that Christ came for the whole world. That he came to save everyone, that salvation comes to all, to, to whether they're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman, um, Muslim or Hindu, black or white, educated or ignorant. That Christ came for everyone all over the face of this planet, that, that he came to save everyone. Epiphany is a good news. Lent, though, says that the way to that salvation goes through the cross. I like Epiphany. Um, Lent, sometimes not so much, you know. Uh, Epiphany is good news and and a lot of things to celebrate and to party and to sing Alleluia, Alleluia all the time. But in Lent, not so much. Lent is scary. Lent takes us to Easter, but it takes us to Easter through the cross. We've all learned that when it comes to, to believing people, to trusting people, that we have to be careful. Not everybody can be trusted. There are people out there who want to do you harm. There are people out there who will inflict physical or emotional abuse. That people can hurt us in a million ways, and so we have to be careful. But there's a voice that comes from the cloud, and it came to Peter, James, and John, and it comes to you and to me. And here's what it says. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Do what he says. Listen to him. There's this line in The the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, where Lucy is talking to the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and she's getting ready to go meet Aslan, the the lion. 
And Lucy sort of admits her fear. She says something like, I shall rather uh, be timid or I shall rather fear uh, meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver, here's what she says. She says, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. And Lucy says, then, then he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver jumps in. And he says, safe? Can you hear Mrs. Beaver? Who says anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. I suppose it's a paradox, isn't it? That at the same time we can have fear of the Lord and be not afraid. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And over and over again throughout Scripture, be not afraid. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Trust him. Follow him. He might not be safe, but he's good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.